Welcome back to the second season of the Simulated Universe. I'm your host, Riz Verk, and uh, this season we're focused on all aspects of the metaverse, the past, the present, and the future, uh, which, as we talked about last time, is really a collection of a lot of different technologies, everything from NFTs, cryptos, to 3D standards, to avatars, and video games, and multiplayer, and fashion, etc. And so today, my guest is Timu Toke, who is CEO of Wolf3D uh, and of Ready Player Me. And uh, Wolf3D is a cross-platform avatar engine, and Ready Player Me is a cool way to get an avatar that looks just like you. I tried it with an avatar based upon Dune, the movie that's coming out. And so uh, there's a little version of me wearing a still suit from Dune, which happens to be one of my favorite books. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. So, uh, and he's also known as the avatar guy. So Timu, welcome to uh, the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited so, to discuss all things metaverse always. Yeah, definitely. One of your favorite topics and mine. Um, yep. So you said that 2021 is the year of the avatar. Okay. So mm -hmm. why did you say that? Well, to be honest, I've been saying that every year since 2017. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this year I'm actually right. <laughs> yeah, this year so, it seems everywhere, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like every year so far it's been like this is going to be the year of the Avatar. Like it's always been so obvious for me that it's going to be that year. And then and uh, it actually happened. Um, you know, why? Obviously, you know, the, the trend, uh, you know, I, I guess... The kind of one part is just people are thinking about um, the metaverse and kind of virtual worlds more because of the pandemic and, and everything. And then avatars are obviously at the center of that. Um, I think it, 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 does, it does kind of ride like a, like a wave at the moment. Um, and it's just like cool um, as well. But like avatars are ultimately very practical, you know, part of any virtual world and have been for, for many decades already. It's just people are now speaking about it in the context of the metaverse and virtual worlds um, more than ever before. And there's obviously more activity, you know, people building those worlds and, and everything. So I think 2021 is really the, the year of the avatar, yeah. <laughs> and one of the reasons you said that, I, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this year anyway, was yeah. around the, is there a new TV show where uh, you have these avatars singing? Um, yeah. Alter ego, yeah, that's that's basically that. I mean, yeah, it's also like you know, the concept of an avatar has been obvious for gamers, um, you know, for a long time, uh, but it hasn't been that obvious. It's been like some strange, foreign, weird thing for for other people. Um, and I guess this year is where you know when when avatars really became like a mainstream phenomenon, and people want to have it, and it's a kind of a social and cool thing. Um, and yeah, like the the, the TV show. Uh, on Fox, I think, which is kind of American Idol without or basically was like, you know, a perfect kind of example of that, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Definitely. So, you know, let's talk about history for a second and then we'll get into more about, you know, why uh, you're uh, working on these, these cross-platform mm -hmm. avatars. Uh, so historically, you know, the term avatar comes from the, uh, the old Indian uh, Hindu traditions and, you know, where it means to descend uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in Silicon Valley, I met uh, some of the guys who at least they claimed, and I think they're right, that they were the first to use this term avatar in a game. Mm. Uh, and they were uh, involved with Lucasfilm or LucasArts, which is the video game component. And they built a game called Habitat. 
which was one of the first online 3D MMORPGs. So that's, I think, when it first appeared. But maybe, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about the history of when did it become common? Was it, uh, did Neil Stevenson use it in Snow Crash or was it more in the 90s? You know, when did people start using that term uh, within the video game industry and how has it evolved or changed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't know the exact history, uh, to be honest, of the term, uh, but I know where it became useful. You know, it became useful, uh, you know, uh, as soon as there was a way for you to represent yourself in the virtual world. Um, and that started from, uh, you know, the kind of arcades and like the, the, the very early arcade games where it could just have like three letters uh, representing you, uh, you know, uh, in, in the high score list. So I guess right, like, and I'm old it. enough to have you know played those games back yeah. at actual arcades yeah. back in the day. You seem much younger, so <laughs> I am. I'm 28, so like I didn't actually see them, but I um have you know I've researched the space a lot, obviously. So uh, I guess that was the first place people actually used avatars um, in that way. Although you know not not as we think of them today, but a representation of themselves, and and that made them play a lot. You know, they made made them want to become a you know top name on the on the high score list and um and yeah but i don't know exactly about the term uh i think it's a pretty yeah it's kind of a literary explanation of what an avatar is avatar <laughs> you know it's like a representation of yourself i don't know yeah sure yeah that makes sense so how about in terms of your own history with the avatars mm-hmm. i mean when, when did you first you know think that there was some possibility here for maybe avatars that weren't part of a specific game and which games you know did you play when you were uh, you know first getting exposed to this idea of virtual worlds and yeah so the first avatars i played with a lot um uh, and the first business i built was uh, around runescape <laughs> and it was a, it was a very small business and i was selling runescape gold to other kids in school <laughs> so that was were uh, you in high school or college or no 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 it was way before i was like 11 maybe 11 so, wow okay so yeah, you were yeah. an early virtual digital entrepreneur at 11 i was i was i didn't realize that uh, you know until until late but lately but um but yeah basically that that was where i got exposed to virtual worlds and then like it was obvious for me that virtual worlds are pretty real uh, from from you know back then and kind of virtual assets have real value and I was trying to get a party hat and you know all these things in RuneScape, um, and um, and yeah and then I explored kind of played games my whole life uh, after that um, then got into 3D through 3D printing actually um, and then messed around with printers tried to print print stuff model stuff scan stuff and then that actually led to scanning uh, which was kind of just exciting in the beginning and then around the same time, basically, uh, when we were kind of building our first scanner and figuring out what we can do with it, basically, um, the Oculus was bought by Facebook. Um, so it was kind of obvious that VR is coming and VR is going to be social and avatars are going to be a, like a player center, uh, central part in that platform. Um, and then kind of we realized it's very difficult to create an avatar of someone that kind of represents them, really. Um, and then we approach it from a scanning angle. So we actually built hardware, spent several years doing that, building a studio, building kind of scanning boots um, and trying to make outers like that, you know, scan tens of thousands of people um, and ended up with a massive database of face scans. Um, and then- so You actually had a physical physical studio where you brought people in and you were scanning them? 
Yeah, we had a studio to start with, then we built uh, like basically scanning, like a like a photo booth with scan, like a face scanner, and it has it was like a giant egg shaped, three meter high kind of a big thing. Um, and we had them in airports and museums and stuff. So uh, we actually had like four of them. Um, so, anyways, we scanned tens of thousands of people with those, collected the database of face scans. And then build a deep learning solution that took a selfie and converted it into like different styles of outers. So, um, and then spent like three years building outer systems around that tech uh, to enterprise customers like Tencent, Huawei, HTC, Vodafone, Verizon, um, Wargaming, and, and many others. And that's where we kind of got the experience of building outer systems and, and kind of figuring out what developers really need in an outer system. And then that eventually led to building Ready Pemi. I see. Got it. Okay. Well, that's an interesting history, particularly, you know, starting with the, the hardware and then getting the actual database, which seems to be a key part of the value. Um, so, uh, you know, w when did you think uh, that this cross-platform avatar idea uh, was going to be interesting? Because it seems to me, at least until recently, and probably even today, most people think of an avatar within a game, right? So I go into mm -hmm. Fortnite or, you know, back in the day, I used to play Second Life like 10 some yeah. years ago and I had my avatars there and they weren't, you know, they didn't look exactly like me. I, I kind of got it as close as I could using their built-in mm -hmm. tools. Um, but, you know, when did this idea of a cross-platform, well, first of all, what does that mean? What is a cross-platform avatar? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea was always there that we will kind of like the first idea was like we scan a bunch of people with hardware, build a database of their scans and avatars, and then try to make deals with game developers to allow those assets to go into their games. And like there's videos of me pitching that in like 2017 um, and still with the hardware, you know, um, and it was like, yeah, so that's. That's and been like game goal always. Yeah, were game developers open to it back in 2017? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to do their own like little avatar engine. Is that why? Or <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, we, we weren't close to having enough like critical mass like on in the database, like, you know, enough people to really make it make sense to anyone. <laughs> so like anyways, um, but like let's, yeah, let's focus like anyways. The, the goal is... Um, the question is about cross-game authors and cross-game identities. Um, so the idea was always there, uh, but it wasn't doable technically and the market wasn't ready for that. So when now like the kind of the metaverse and also the crypto and NFT, you know, movement or market and philosophy um, is happening, then that becomes a thing that more people are interested in, like building more open systems, building more connected systems, building, um, you know, avatars and assets that go from one game to another and like building cross-game economies uh, and generally kind of linking together many different virtual worlds. Um, and avatars are a great way to do that. So, and it is the, they're the most reasonable way to do that also. Um, you know, you have a, that's, it's a persistent kind of, by default, a persistent thing, identity, you know, and, and you might want to represent it in a different way um, depending on the platform, but you definitely don't want to create a new representation for each world you visit. So it makes sense that you have one kind of a, or a few identities that travel with you across worlds instead of having to create a new identity for each world. Like that's not a metaverse I can, ex 
imagine existing in the world, like, you know, in the future. Like, it's obvious that there needs to be some interoperability for our identity, uh, and that's why we built it. Yeah, well, I think that's obvious to you, but not necessarily to people trying to push their own versions of the metaverse, right? So much. Right. Um, it well, seems to me this is a big challenge, right, for getting something like the metaverse off the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. And what would you, what would be an analogy for a digital identity? Would it be like using your Facebook login on different sites? Are, are, are we, you know, is that a good analogy for what you're trying to do with different 3D environments? Yeah, it's a perfect analogy, actually. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Well, so how is that possible? So some, some people, you know, might be asking, well, okay, obviously I can't use my Fortnite avatar in, you know, PUBG or World of Warcraft, you know, so what technical standards uh, are you relying on? Uh, and, you know, where does this avatar live? You know, does it live as a 3D file somewhere on the cloud? Is it on my laptop? Like, like how do the mechanics of cross game avatars or digital assets work in your opinion? Sure. So, like the first thing we we realized when we were starting starting to build Ready Player Me, I was like, you know, it needs to solve a problem for developers without it being a cross game avatar or cross game, you know, network or whatever. So the first thing we built was just an avatar system. You need, you can integrate into our game, and you know, saving time, saving money, and and helping um and in the future making money with avatar assets without there being a network at all. Um, so, and, and that's our outer standard, you know, we support different file formats for different engines. We have SDKs for different engines and so forth. And by having this tool and integrating the same avatar system, uh, through all these games, we're actually building this kind of network, uh, of games that you can, you can travel between. So, because we, we build the outer systems, it's, it's consistent. Um, what are the technical standards? Like it depends, uh, on the game experience we have a lot of different file formats we support we have a lot of different you know animation like skeletons and and rigs we support uh and we can change them so if you go to from a let's say vr game that has oculus face blend shapes then you know go to another game that has a full body avatar not a torso we, we just convert that so we take your identity which is kind of your face part we make a full body version of that we uh, set that other kind of AR kit blend shapes to a face, and for the user, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make it, you just get an avatar, right? Um, and we can do that because like all those 550 companies we already work with today use our avatars, you know. Um, and in the future, we can also open that up the platform up for other avatar providers potentially, or or games themselves to get take their avatars out out of their experiences into other other worlds. Um, yeah. Did that, did that, did that, did, holy shit, <laughs> did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so really you're saying there are many different file formats, but because you have the basic model um, and the basic information about the face scan, you can then adapt that data into the specific file formats that are used by the developer of that specific world. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of people think about the file formats as the, like a, issue you know honestly that's, that's, that's the smallest issue you know it's there's a lot of other things about the 3d model that uh make it complicated to uh, for it to be interoperable uh normally you know there's things like topo- topologies exactly how you man animated materials there's a lot of lot of different things that go into a 3d model 
they are way more complicated to port than like just changing a file format. You know, and so are those things in different do that different games use different sort of formats for those or different standards yeah. or you know, or is it more just they just do it differently in terms of you know how they interpret the data? Yeah. Um yeah, in our case, we yeah, like different partners use different file formats sometimes. Um and 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 that's it but like normally why one asset in one game doesn't work in another game is because like there's a lot of reasons like how it's created um you know like the topologies things how how it's animated like it's just like you know by default nothing works cross game so you right. need to have some standard <laughs> avatar for example yeah that you build this around so uh, it does work cross game and and what are some of those standards i mean are is there anything like you know, there's like the universal scene description that Pixar put out USD for 3D scenes. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, Blender has its own formats and different Maya has its own formats. But are, are there any kind of name standards for avatars per se, or does it just fit in with all these 3D uh, standards that are out there? Yeah, I mean, there are standards for sure, like generally for avatars or for just 3D models. You know, we use a lot of GLB, GLDF. It's like uh, a web kind of first format but not only uh, fbx is a typical format that is used for generally kind of 3d assets in games um yeah so like but again those are file like you know, yeah those are technical file for sure makes sense like well making yeah. someone an fbx doesn't make it work doesn't make the asset work in a game <laughs> so, <laughs> well that's so a good like, point it's, it's like like yeah there's a lot of other things that Need to be there anyways yeah so it sounds like it was a it's a lot of effort to originally as you started to do this with different game developers but now it sounds like you guys have done it with what so you said like 500 different game developers do you want to talk a little bit mention some of those and you know how it might work and can you get true portability or do i go in there and i create or an avatar and then i go here and i create the same avatar or, or can i actually use my same you know avatar like that i created in the other <laughs> game uh -huh. Yeah, so right, so we have 550 something developers signed and we've been growing like 40% month over month. So the developer adoption has been great and we're very ha happy about that. Um, some of the companies we work with are, for example, VRChat, um, well, you know, the biggest or one of the biggest uh, VR apps, um, Somnium Space, Crypto Metaverse, Live, uh, VR kind of streamer platform. Uh, we have some enterprise customers like Rakuten, Verizon, TCL, Entity Docomo, and and, um, and many others. So, and mm, it's an open platform, so obviously it attracts a lot of kind of small developers, a lot of experimentation, which is kind of by design. That's what we wanted to build. It's like making avatars so accessible um, that you know a single developer can basically build something cool with them. Um, yeah. And the question was also, is there real portability? Yes, there is. Um, so on the website, you can create an avatar. You can uh, create an avatar for VR chat, and then you can go to Somnium Space, for example, directly and sign in with your Ready Play Me account and access the um, uh, avatar you created uh, for VR chat. 
Cool. So the way it works then is uh, like in this case, I mentioned the Dune avatar that I created last night, you know, just taking a picture yeah. for the mobile phone. So mm-hmm. I can go into VR chat and there's sort of a sign in with or use your Ready Player Me account. So every developer yeah. that's using your, your developer kit would, would have that. And then I can just say, just use my same avatar. Yeah, at this phase, it's it's still like a to sign in with Ready Player Me and it's like lives on the avatar creator. So you can't like create an account for VR chat with Ready Player Me. We don't have that built out yet, but yeah, in the avatar creator is just sign in with your Ready Pay Me uh, account, and then you can access all of the avatars you created. Yep. And to be honest, like the cross game usage on the end user side, like is very early. <laughs> you know, we haven't <laughs> put a lot of energy into that because the partner growth has been great, and and that's just also also a little bit overwhelming. So we're just trying to keep that going and um, make sure. Um, you know, the developers are happy. Um, and obviously when the network, network grows, then kind of the cross game um, usage uh, or the, you know, there's more apps to use cross game um, to make sense to grow the network first and then build the end user kind of experience on, on top of that. But we have a very first, very first version of that. So you can try it out. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I was involved a few years ago with TapJoy, uh, which was kind of early in the mobile game space. And, you know, we used to have a small network of developers who would kind of send users between one game and the others. And that started to grow really fast. And then suddenly, you know, 20% of all the apps in the top of the app store <laughs> were all part of the TapJoy network, because oh. at that point, it was pretty easy to send people back and forth. You just installed another game. Uh, mm. I think what you're talking about is harder to do but it really represents the future of a more decentralized metaverse, right? Um, if you yep. can move digital assets across, you know, of different types. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of people are thinking about, um, you know, fashion and avatars and stuff. And they just kind of expect that they build an avatar and then it just somehow magically starts working in games. You know, it doesn't. <laughs> so like, that's why, we, we needed to build the tools um, first to, to help developers with, uh, you know, avatar systems. And then we can build the interoperable system on top of that kind of network. And, and so let's talk about fashion a little bit. You, you mentioned yeah. it. And I know you guys have some partners in that space. And so how does that, how does that work? Maybe give an example of uh, one of your fashion-related partners and how that, uh, you know, gets attached to your avatar and where does it live and what, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, generally, avatars are like a vehicle for virtual assets to, you know, get to the metaverse. So when you think about uh, virtual fashion, what makes it usable uh, or m- what makes it valuable is, is kind of being able to use this virtual fashion in, in real games you play. Um, so for for fashion creators, for NFTs, avatar NFTs, also being able to attach them to an avatar that is used in 500 different worlds is very valuable. Um, and for us, it's very valuable to work with fashion because we want awesome avatars and people love, you know, the, the fashion our partners are creating and so forth. So, so it, it's a perfect partnership for us to partner with real life fashion brands. Uh, we're working with Dior, New Balance, um, Charlie Cohen, um, and there's some more that I can't mention yet. Um, and some, some metaverse fashion brands like Artifact, um, The Fabricant, uh, and so forth. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of a perfect partnership. Uh, they create assets that are super hyper awesome. Uh, our users get to use them, and those assets actually go to the games we, we are integrated with. 
That's great. So what would be an example? Let's let's take New Balance, right? So they're a sneaker company, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the, the general other other clothes also, but yeah, um, New Balance. Um, yeah, there will be a New Balance like a clothing set that will come to Ready Per Me um, next week, actually, um, and then. You know, there will be there will be a campaign around it uh, where people can create like a New Balance themed avatar and stuff, um, and it will also be available across all the partner spaces. So, when you go and create then uh, New Balance avatar in, or when you create an avatar in VR chat, the New Balance assets are also available there. Uh, when you save your avatar with New Balance there, and then go to some new space um, and sign in, then you can access them also. So, yeah, there's just uh, kind of usable in the metaverse across those partnerships. That's great. And then, you know, you, so you mentioned sneakers, different types of clothes. I mean, with Dior and others, are, are there purses, uh, you know, what, what are, and do they, and how does that work? Do they create those assets and then send them to you and then you put them into the system or are they like, you have to work with them and kind of design them for them, you know, for these big brands? Yeah. So long term, definitely, we don't want to be in the business of creating assets, creating content. So we have some partners that help with that. So um, the branded assets come can come from the brands, and then we collaborate with them, or we just kind of have some partners, studios that just create assets and know what we need, basically. Um, yeah, so we don't, we're not in the business of creating like virtual fashion ourselves in that sense. Um, yeah, and yeah, there's like the assets we've created so far are just like full body outfits. Um, like the steel suit, the dune steel suit that I used in my avatar, yeah. for example, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's true. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of things we can do. Brands haven't been a focus for us so far. We made a couple of deals, sorry, um, to just to learn and, and see, you know, how that works and, and, and everything. But uh, it will be a bigger focus next year. So there's more things coming. Yep. Makes sense. Well, we'll be looking for it. So how about NFTs? Uh, you know, are they playing into uh, the, the items that you're creating for, for the avatars? Is that kind of how it interrelates with the, your avatar engine? Yeah. So we definitely like one of the next big steps. Um, actually, I can't speak about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say, yeah, we have a, we have an NFT roadmap. Um, you know, we have a project coming in October uh, for a specific NFT community. Um, then we'll have a drop coming with a uh, kind of an interesting uh, real world artist um, and and then some more things like that. So our, our approach is to kind of do partner drops and learn about NFTs by doing that and kind of build up our name in the community and then start doing our, our own drops. So we see our economy as like in two parts. One is kind of the interoperable cross-game economy which is driven by nfts um and that's what we're now starting to build out and then there's an in-game in-game economies basically that are individual to each partner they can sell in-game skins like they like they do in uh you know our normal games today um so yeah we're kind of getting closer to building both of those sides out um and nfts are definitely a, um, a big thing for us uh i'm very deep into nfts myself personally so like i i get the market i'm very excited about it um and i think yeah there's a lot of things we can do yeah well let's project forward a couple of years uh you know uh, not necessarily just your company but in general uh, with the metaverse it seems to me that 
you know, mo many of these game developers will start to pull NFTs into the game, you know? And mm -hmm. I guess a good example would be like, if we said there's a sneaker or a purse or some fashion object that you buy, uh, it would actually be registered on, on one or more blockchains. And then anytime you go into a game, you can actually sell it within each of the games, even though today they probably all have their own kind of in-game in economies, right? And most most games probably don't allow that unless they were architected for, for the blockchain from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious to a lot of people that crypto gaming um, like is, you know, will be massive and is massive. And it's like crazy what you can do with those incentives. Um, so we're going to see a lot of that. I, I think there's going to be big companies, big old gaming companies that are going to try to do some stuff. Um, but in the end, like NFTs solve like a, the ownership issue, you know, for assets, but they don't solve the interoperability issue. You know, they don't making an 3D model an NFT doesn't make it any, you know, more usable across games than not making it an NFT. It's still a 3D model. <laughs> it's still the same 3D model. So the problems that need to be solved to create real interoperability have don't have a lot to do with NFTs. You know, they have real just computer, you know, graphics, 3D challenges um, that need to be solved. And, you know, maybe there's a point where like some file formats and stuff can help. I don't know. Like, um, it's very hard to see how like any asset that is created anywhere by anyone is going to work in every game. You know, like, it's just not going to happen. Or, like, I don't know what needs to happen for that to happen. So we're not betting on that for sure. Um, we're betting that we can we can create enough interoperability, um, you know, in a, in a semi-controlled system, which is kind of our own outer system. And we can take a bet on that. It's happening today already. Um, but every game being interoperable, like, when you, even if you look at the crypto metaverses today, are they very interoperable between each other? Um, I don't know. Maybe I, some of them are. Not fully, right? But there's some that are starting yeah. to, like, for example, I don't know if you know Upland, um, which is a, kind mm -hmm. of a, a mirror world. Uh, they were in the 60 Minutes uh, special on NFTs a couple months back. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they have their own NFTs, but now they're starting to bring in NFTs from, from other uh, blockchains. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I remember looking at the NFT standard uh, kind of before the, the latest hype cycle got started. And, you know, I remember thinking, wow, there's not much here for the actual asset. Uh, there was, a, if you look at the, the ERC, was it 721, I think was the, the standard that was most popular initially. There was just an optional field that had a URL to like a JPEG file or yeah. something, right? That was as much as the standards got into the actual asset. Uh, but today, you know, people are creating, and so you could do a GIF file, right? And that would basically mm -hmm. give you, you know, a little more uh, pizzazz on it. But today, each of these games needs, like you said, you know, much more of the, the 3D model and, and the textures and the way that you're going to draw it and all of that I mean, stuff. Yeah. And even if you have the models and textures and everything, like, you know, it's not, it doesn't make it interoperable. Like it's... Um, there's no like standards like that. Like, I see. And that's where you guys yeah. come in because of your ability to translate yeah. right into each of these environments. So if a developer goes right now, are they able to go and do a, kind of a single, uh, like a self-service signup uh, and then just start using your SDKs 
you know, kind of like anybody can sign up for, you know, putting in, you know, the Google, I mean, the Facebook or Google SDKs to do sign up with Google. But yep. hopefully soon we'll be seeing more and more, right? Sign up with uh, Ready Player Me across uh, this emerging thing that's a metaverse, right? Exactly. And just to clarify, we don't yet have sign up with Ready Player Me. Um, we have like, something similar in the auto creator you can sign in with your account but there's we don't have like a full OAuth system yet um but anyways yeah but projecting into the future you know it sounds yeah, like the absolutely. vision is you guys want to be the digital identity you know that somebody can carry around with them yeah uh, and then that comes with the digital inventory as well right because the mm -hmm. avatar has to have stuff right to make yep. make the avatar interesting Oh, and then if I go into one of these games like VR chat, um, uh, I'm assuming they probably have some of their own little things that I can buy in there. Uh, so right now, I guess those wouldn't necessarily be available if I got them there within another game or would they be uh, depending on how much they've integrated your system? Um, yeah, so the integration is about our avatar specifically. If you buy something from one game, uh, we don't yet sell anything in any game. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> right. There is no economy uh, yet. So, uh, yeah, but generally th there will be two types of assets and there will be in-game assets that are specific to a world or to a game that will be kind of stuck there. Um, and then there will be cross-game assets that travel between worlds. And, you know, managing those two is also like, um, it's an interesting balance anyways. Yeah. And, and, you know, are there other examples in, in this kind of emerging metaverse technology of interoperable assets? Uh, I mean, are you guys, I would think there's other people kind of working on this. Sounds like you guys are further along than, than most people. I mean, obviously Unity and Unreal are, you know, saying if you use our engine, that's going to lead to an interoperable metaverse, but I'm not sure that they're, they're you know, close yet to that. Yeah. 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 Uh, are there any um, others that you can yeah, think of that are kind of, you know, doing what you're doing or, or getting interoperability in the, in the metaverse? Yeah. I mean, like people that do what we do, like uh, building avatars, there's genies, um, there's Tuffy, there's Facemoji. Um, you know, uh, we definitely have the, by far, <laughs> the largest amount of uh, partners and, and growth in the platform. But um, in general, interoperability, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, I don't know yet. Like, I mean, there's, there's definitely avatar projects, also like Mibits that kind of promise that, but then the company itself, Larva Labs doesn't really do anything to achieve that. So it's up for like developers to kind of integrate their standard for just 20,000 avatars high value avatars but still like there's stuff like that uh but you know it's very easy to create 20,000 avatars and, and make them nfts well it's not easy to make them very cool if you look at the artifact new avatar project you know just it's very hard to make something like that cool but but generally you know that's um you know that 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 solves the problem of having the asset and kind of being able to transfer it and stuff but um, to make them usable in games, uh, it's a whole different different game. It has nothing to do with NFTs. Right. 
Makes sense. Cool. So, uh, you know, speaking of video games, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you had started with RuneScape back in the day. And mm -hmm. now that you're running the startup, uh, you know, I know from personal experience, it's hard to have time to play a lot of games yourself. But uh, yep. do you still spend time in any of these game worlds at this stage or, or uh, you know, do you not have the time these days? I tried to, but I haven't the last couple of months at all. But uh, we we used to play like CSGO very frequently with the team. Um, that was really fun. Uh, but yeah, we kind of yeah, I haven't I haven't I haven't joined the sessions lately. I have to again. But yeah, CSGO has been has been fun fun with the with the team. I played some Warzone. Um but yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, makes sense. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that when I was involved with Tapjoy, you know, we started off with kind of small to medium-sized games mm -hmm. integrating the system. And then the big guys, you know, the bigger guys at the time saw what was happening and said, hey, we got to get in on this, but they wanted to mm -hmm. wait until, you know, the system had been proven. So my guess yeah. is you're probably going to start to get, you know, some of these bigger games and companies uh, approaching you guys in the future with what you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the right strategy for, for us, well, again, like I can't go into details, but I think that's a good way to do it is to do like the small and mid developers first and then and then go after the big ones not try to you know convince fortnite to um open up their platform and spend most of their time doing that <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and actually come to think of it the way that it worked with us was we would get a new game that was a medium-sized game and then suddenly it would become the next biggest game <laughs> And yeah, it would yeah, eclipse yeah. the old guys. So perhaps it's the next Fortnite, right? That you guys are going to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and what was the uh what was the end game with, with that with that product or that company? Well, that product, I mean, they were more of an advertising company, right? So they right. would embed uh, and give virtual currency uh mm -hmm. within the game. So you could earn currency for uh, installing another app as an example. Yeah, and I so that it. ended up creating this giant network of apps uh, that was pretty mm -hmm. much a who's who of mobile in the day. Um, now, that at that time, we were beholden to platforms like Apple and Google very much because it was all based upon that. But the virtual currency at the time was in each side, in, in each game, right? So, you know, whether it was, Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I don't I even know. remember the games now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't know about that. that that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. And so the, the end game was eventually, you know, could we have an interoperable way to have virtual currency? That was obviously mm -hmm. difficult to do when you've got all these different game developers and their mm -hmm. own little economies and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun ride, you know, while, while we did that. Um, wow. That's cool. Cool. So as we as we wrap up here, um, is there any you know? So this this podcast we you know we like to say I like to say it's the on the border between science fiction and and science, and so I'm wondering if there's any science fiction that inspires you or other members of your team you know that says hey this is the future you know that we want to create and we're doing our piece of it right now. Yeah, I mean I think there haven't been many science fiction uh, pieces that have been very positive about you know the metaverse kind of <laughs> happening you know our name is ready player me but actually we don't want the ready player one uh, world to happen like we can almost just want the opposite of that to happen or like the you know a connected version of the metaverse not like one game or one world that owns everything um you know so like i would say like a lot of um a lot of the science fiction um is that quite negative about like what the world turns out to be uh, if there is a massive virtual world? Uh, but yeah, Snow Crash is still my my favorite 
piece you know i've read it many times and and that's um i think yeah that is a this is still the coolest, coolest book on the topic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard they were working on an adaptation. I don't know, uh, you know, when it's scheduled for. I didn't but, know. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's been a few years, so you never know with with films and TV shows. They they get delayed all the time. But but yeah. you know, you make a really good point about the dystopian nature of a lot of science mm-hmm. fiction, uh, and even with Facebook out there. Uh, saying that they want to create, you know, be the metaverse company. Obviously, they want to control the the virtual environment. And I know that, uh, you know, John yeah. John Cormack, the the CTO of Oculus, uh, uh, you know, and creator of Doom and many other, uh, you know, great video mm-hmm. games over the years. You, you know, he was against that idea that Facebook should be a metaverse that's not interoperable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys are perhaps the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, the metaverse, right? They want to be the metaverse, yeah. right? <laughs> Just like they've become the social network. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are kind of the opposite. So, so I, I like mm-hmm. that positioning. It's is how do you create a maybe a utopian, maybe a, or a better uh, future mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a vision for the metaverse? Cool. Yeah, no, I mean, generally, like people think of the metaverse and they're like, you know, will it happen? Does it happen? When does it happen? You know, the metaverse in many ways is already here. You know, people spend a lot of time in virtual worlds, in 3D worlds and games and stuff, but also like just talking with each other, you know, on a call or whatever. So, um, like, I think, you know, what's kind of missing from the experience is just the, the continuous uh, experience across many different worlds um, and so forth. That's great. Well, and, and then finally, you know, uh, my personal uh, area of interest has been, you know, this idea of building something like the Matrix, which, of course, was a dystopian in a way, but there were some interesting elements of it, such as, you know, uh, they had the brain computer interface, mm-hmm. you know, that linked in and yep. while they were inside the Matrix, but they also could take that out and put in a different game, right? Right. When mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves and uh, Neo uh, said, I know Kung Fu suddenly. Right? Yep, and, and, yep. <laughs> and, and he was pretty much using, you know, when he went into that other little matrix, I guess you'd call it, he looked yeah. exactly the same, which means mm-hmm. somebody had figured out the interoperability problem at that point, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Perhaps there was a Wolf's 3D or a Ready Player Me technology that was already embedded uh, in that. Particular. Most probably. Most probably. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, you know, so much for for joining me on the podcast. And I think you know what you guys are doing is great. You're kind of laying the foundation for what will be a truly decentralized metaverse in the future. So, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you for ha- having me. In this interview, we started one of the threads that we'll be following throughout this season of the podcast as we explore the emerging metaverse. In this case, it's the thread related to avatars, or three-dimensional representations of us, not just in one game, but across multiple games. Of course, the Wolf 3D Ready Player Me is just one of a number of companies who use machine learning technologies to create avatars that look like us. You could say they're bitmojis on steroids. The techniques and technologies for making these types of 3D digital avatars is getting better all the time. In the weeks before this episode, for example, Um, If you follow the space, you may have seen the news that the Swedish musical group ABBA announced that they had used motion capture to create their digital avatars, which they are calling avatars, and they'll be having concerts next year based on these avatars. In this case, it was another company, Industrial Light and Magic, which was a firm created by George Lucas for special effects for Star Wars uh, that did the work. 
Now, I'm not sure if there's a generic term for these types of avatars that look like us, maybe anthropomorphic avatars, although that's not quite right either, because that just means any avatar that doesn't look like an animal or a rock, but looks like a human. Photorealistic avatars, I've seen that used a few times. We'll see if there's a term that catches on and, and becomes the standard over the next few months. So this week's episode also touches upon other threads well beyond avatars. One, digital identity and presence across the metaverse. Two, digital goods, both in terms of 3D objects, like the fashion and clothing objects we talked about today, as well as ownership of these objects using NFTs or non-fungible tokens on different blockchains. And three, standards for operability across different parts of the emerging metaverse. We'll be following each of these threads up uh, in the rest of the episodes in this season with some of the top luminaries, entrepreneurs, analysts, investors, and developers in the verse. Thanks for joining me this week, and don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of The Simulated Universe. And don't forget that in two weeks, I'm going to be releasing my new book, The Simulated Multiverse, an MIT computer scientist explores parallel universes, the simulation hypothesis, quantum computing, and the Mandela effect. You can pre-order it now on Amazon or at your bookstore of choice. And I'll see you next week.